I've heard some people say before, like, man, you guys pray a lot when you get together. And I said, yeah, we do. So, uh, Lord Jesus, uh, we pray uh, that your Holy Spirit would speak through Braden this morning. Lord, that as we come to your word, uh, we would be changed by your word. And so uh, just use our brother um, to bring your word to us this morning. Uh, Lord, I pray as John the Baptist prayed, less of him and more of you. Uh, may he decrease this morning and you increase. So just use him, I pray, Lord Jesus. Change us in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <clears throat> for some reason, when I get in front of a congregation uh, and preach a, a sermon, I get this weird voice. It's like a preacher's voice. I don't do it intentionally. It just happens. Um, I think it's because I've just watched so many men preach, um, and so I'm emulating them or whatever. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, I wanted to start uh, by asking a question. It's a question that the Lord's kind of put on my heart um, lately over the last season of my life. The question is, do you truly know him? Do we know him? When I think about this question, uh, and if... Uh, and if I were to be asked, Brayden, do you know him? Of course, I would say, yeah, I think I know him. And similarly, if I were to go around the room and ask several of you, do you know Jesus? I'm sure your answers would go something like this. Yes, I know Jesus. Um, he died for my sins and raised again on the third day. But is that truly knowing him? Let's put someone else in Jesus' place. Tom Brady, we all know the name. Um, if I were to ask you, do you know Tom Brady? I'm sure some of you would list statistics and facts and details about his life. And I'm sure that may even feel like you know Tom Brady. But if you were to walk up to Tom Brady and invite him over to your house, what do you think you're very weird? Um, or would he come and join you and your family? Uh, similarly to Jesus, a lot of us grew up in church. We know the stories of Jesus. We know what he did. We know facts and details about his life. And if we were asked, do you know Jesus? Yeah, I know those. I know him. And then we'd go on telling those stories. But is that knowing him? I recently watched um, a farewell letter um, in, a vi in video form from a person that I've been following on the internet um, for a while now. Um, as morbid as that sounds, uh, he was going through chemotherapy and had realized that his fight was coming to an end. Um, but with a smile on his face, he sat there and described his faith in Jesus. 
He said, I know I'm going to heaven because Jesus is in my heart. And then he began to list different things that he was proud of um, and different uh, events that he, or different things that he wanted people to remember him by. But as I listened, I began to feel heaviness in my heart. To preface, I don't know whether or not this man is in heaven. He probably is. That's not the point I'm getting at. The point is that this man's testimony, testimony made me wonder what I want the conversation to look like at the end of my own life. Will any of my accomplishments matter? When I have a similar conversation with my friends and family around me, what do I want it to look like? What do I value most? At the end of the Sermon of the Mount, in Matthew 7, 21, Jesus says that... uh, He says something that's not very easy to hear. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did you not prophesy in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Not everyone, uh, not everyone who calls Jesus Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven. When reading this, I began to wonder about my own life. Do I know Jesus as I should? because I consider him my Lord. And what about the people I love? How about many of those people who also call Jesus Lord? Do they fit in the category of Matthew 7, 21? Do I know him? Do we know him? Um, A.W. Tozer one of my favorite authors. In fact, I think he's one of every pastor's favorite author. Um, When speaking about the burden he felt for other believers, he said this. He said, every man is as close to God as he wants to be. He is as holy and as full of the Holy Spirit as he wills it. It puts a lot of responsibility on us, doesn't it? Paul takes knowing Christ to another level. He says in in, uh, Philippians 3.8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. 
Such a crazy verse. His life, Paul's life was full of just full sacrifice. I can think of, I think there's a verse in Corinthians where Paul lists the things of, uh, that he suffered. Five lashings of 30 minus, or 40 minus one, uh, which was believed to be uh, the point where you could survive. If you went any further than that, you wouldn't. Five separate occasions. Most of his life uh, after coming to Christ in prison, uh, just listing those different things that he went through. He's saying that nothing else mattered. Nothing was worth not knowing Christ. It was the most important thing in his life, and his life was an example of it. I count everything as loss. The man at the store at the beginning of my sermon, who was giving his farewell letter, was listing everything that he was proud of, everything that he had accomplished created and wanted to continue after he was dead. But what was it for? What was its purpose? When he entered heaven and faced Jesus, was it all was any of that stuff relevant? The picture of marriage is a metaphor that Paul uses to demonstrate the intimacy of knowing Jesus. He says in Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm talking about Christ and the church. So I wanted to ask you guys, what happens between a husband and wife and their relationship when they get married? What was it? Everything begins. Everything begins, okay. Right. Sex. <laughs> yes, yep. That does happen, yep. Sharing their time, like their days are in trouble. Right. You don't like make appointments now. It's not like, oh, we'll see each other at this point. Like you just share your days. Right. The the time that they, something has happened here. Let Let me fix this here. The time that they spend together is intermeshed. You know what the other one is doing apart from you going to the grocery store, going to work. What else? What was it? You become a team, yes. Um, Great, yeah. Anything else? Your best friends. Yeah, those are great. Right, you walk, you suffer together. 
one person's suffering becomes the other person's suffering. That's great. This idea of the two becoming one flesh. I think it's, uh, it's, there's a bunch of things that happen when that happens. Time, yes, suffering, but also values become one. Calling from God become one. There's just so much. I think another thing is that you know your spouse more intimately than any other relationship. Um, yeah. Revelation 9, 6 through 7 describes the moment that the church, who is us, gets into heaven. It describes it as a wedding banquet. I don't know whether I should put this up or down. And so I want us to picture what it would be like to get into the altar at your wedding day, but then not know who you're standing in front of. Such a bizarre uh, thing that we can't, it's hard to get our heads around. In fact, I think there's TV show after TV show of bride at first sight or whatever that we're so enamored by. Um, In John 10, 14, and 15, we now, we're now going to move into where Jesus talks about the intimacy that we are to have with him. He says that, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. When I grew up in Jordan, I remember I have this memory of looking out the back window of our house and then seeing uh, a bunch of, a couple of, two or three shepherds standing next to each other and their sheep trailing behind them. And they were talking and enjoying a conversation. Um, but we'd often see something happen when one shepherd would move away and then the other shepherd would continue, the sheep would almost magically separate and then follow their own shepherd. Such a cool metaphor that God uses to demonstrate knowing him. Sheep know the shepherd. Um, did you see the other thing that describes the way that we are to know him? He compares it to the way that he knows the Jesus compares it to the way that he knows the Father. He says that my sheep, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father. Jesus often during his time on earth talked about that talked about the intimacy that he has with the Father. We read in John 14, 8 through 11. He says, Lord, said Philip, show us the Father, and that is enough for us. Jesus said to him, I have been among you all this time, and you do not know me, Philip. 
the one who has sent me has, has seen the Father. Excuse me. The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does his works. Believe me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe the works. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. I notice a couple things. I notice the first thing is that Philip didn't have it figured out. He'd been following Jesus. We read earlier uh, when Jesus spoke to the disciples and said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, my own know me, just as the Father knows me. So he's heard this before, but he didn't have it figured out. So it's okay. If you're sitting here, we don't have this figured out. Um, We're going to figure it out, though, uh, together. This, another thing that I find interesting is that Jesus shows how he interacts with, with the Father in heaven. He says that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Then he goes on to say that the words that he says and the things that he does are done in the Father. This idea of being in Christ, the way the Father is in Christ, is spoken about all throughout Scripture. Some of my favorite passages, I have three picked out for us. So we'll we'll move through these quickly. Um, But John 15, 5 through 11, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you have nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them up, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. The second scripture, John 17, 21. This was a prayer that Jesus was praying for his disciples right before being taken um, to the cross. He says, may they be one as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. And then thirdly, this is my favorite um, passage to use with youth. Um, I think it, yeah, it just, it's, it's something I've loved to, Use with youth. But it's Galatians 2.20, which says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
This is Paul speaking. And it's, again, him saying that there's nothing else that matters except for having Christ living in us. I have been crucified. I am dead. The last eight months uh, before starting uh, my role here as the associate pastor, my wife and I got the opportunity to be part of something extraordinary. A lady named Chris Evans needed our help. Her and her family asked us um, to live with her because she was having trouble with her mobility and other common day-to-day tasks. However, soon after we moved in to Chris's house, her health began to decline. The next four months following, we witnessed a uh, Miss Chris get to a point where um, she only had a few weeks left. We watched the suffering and assisted in keeping her comfortable at the end of her life. The closer and closer that she got to meeting Jesus, the more and more we heard her praise him. She had entered into, entered into a time of full understanding of that Philippians 3.8 passage. She understood the worth of knowing Christ instead of Chris saying that she was going to heaven because Jesus was in her heart, she would say that she cannot wait to see Jesus and to thank him for his saving work on the cross. I see relationship in the way she would respond. There's no doubt in my mind that Chris is in heaven. The closer that she got to seeing her savior the closer that I felt to him as well. Just think about that. We have a responsibility as a church to know him. And as we get to know Jesus, we pull those with us closer to him as well. I think, uh, I think Paul puts it best, best in Corinthians. He says, For as the body of one is one and has many parts, and all the parts of the body, through, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we have been baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews nor Greeks, whether slaves or free, we were all given to one spirit to drink. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. The oneness that both Paul and Jesus spoke about is to be a part of a relationship. To be a part of a relationship with Jesus, who is with the Father, and to be a part of the relationship with the body. It's not just between a husband and wife at home and with their family. 
It's the body of believers. I know that there are many, um, there may be some people in this room who do not understand what it looks like to know Jesus. And today, we as a church want, want to welcome you into an intimate relationship with Jesus. On my left, we'll, uh, we will have a couple of elders who would love to be a part of that journey with you. For some of us, we are feeling a nudge of the Holy Spirit pulling us deeper into intimacy with Jesus. We as a church want nothing more to see you grow into knowing him more. Together, we are on a journey of knowing Jesus more. We want you to be a part of that journey. The elders would love to pray for you after. So let's recap. Three things that I want us to take away from this sermon. The first is that nothing else matters. We go about our lives. Um, we, think, we have things that we value, that we want. But in, at the end of the day, when we meet Jesus, it's him and you. The second is that we are one with him. Our passions, our desires, our values, our time, it's one with Christ. And thirdly, you can't do it without each other. I can't do it without you, and you can't do it without the people around you. Let's bow our heads today, this morning. Jesus, I don't think there's a single person in this room who doesn't need to know you more. Lord, I pray that that you would just bring us closer as a body. Lord, as, we, as I spoke about in Miss Chris's story, the, the closer I felt that she was to seeing you, Lord, the closer I felt to you, Lord. I pray that that would be the same for this church. We thank you for your saving work on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen.